You know we do one take around here. We gonna keep it consistent. Welcome to R&B Podcast uh, episode hmm, 25. 25. 25. Yes, yes. We live on the 4th of July. Mm. Happy birthday, America. Um, super excited, blessed. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to have another discussion because... Uh, there's just been so much growth, so much growth in the world and in my life personally, professionally, and Maddie's and Russ's and uh, being able to reflect upon these things has been so important. And, you know, last week we talked about accountability and I think that that's always going to be relevant regardless of what we talk about, but especially today, kind of tying into that accountability factor, excuses, I'm sure nobody sees excuses as a positive thing, right? We're going to talk about the, the difference between an excuse and an explanation, or maybe how they're exactly the same, right? Mm. So I know me personally, I can think of a time where I was really good at making excuses. And sometimes that means I was lying. And I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, anything you do repetitively, you will become good at, right? We talked about that. And um, if you're making excuses all the time and trying to get out of doing things, you're going to be really good at that and then find yourself doing nothing. Mm. So I think the difference, the main difference between an excuse and an explanation is going to be the context of what you're giving that explanation in, right? Mm -hmm. Is it going to be something after the fact where there was a negative event and you're trying to cover up for yourself or you preemptively making someone aware of a situation, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I don't know, you have anything to put on that as we get into this topic? Yeah, I mean, as we kind of just take off here, I automatically think that with an excuse, it's usually a reason of why something wasn't accomplished, right. but oftentimes doesn't come with a plan on how to get better or attack it the next time. Whereas an explanation I feel like is embedded with, this is how I'm going to do it correct when I need mm -hmm. to do it again mm -hmm. and I need to do yeah. it better. Yeah. Um, an excuse doesn't come with the accountability, mm -hmm. right? And so you're not owning up to it. You're trying to deflect the blame and make sure that you're not going to be held accountable. Whereas if you explain something and own up that you made a mistake or that you were negligent, but also acknowledge that you are going to be making effort to be better moving forward and it's not going to happen again, that is really one of the main factors. And, you know, making excuses is always going to harm you in the long run whether it's professionally or personally, uh, nobody wants to hire someone that's always making excuses of why things aren't getting done. Yeah, because it, it truly is habitual. Mm -hmm. You know, as yeah. you allow yourself to give yourself an excuse of why you didn't hold up your end of a deal that you could have with yourself or mm -hmm. with somebody else, then you will slowly grow to do that more and more. Right. You'll get more comfortable with making the excuse and giving reasons of why. I was just listening to Kobe Bryant in an interview talk about how he would do his workouts, but he knew they were super hard and the voice in his head would start to tell him, hey, I'll do a few less reps today, but tomorrow I'll make up for it. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how dangerous that 
idea could even be. He has to right. discard it, discard of it immediately Mm-mm. because he's like, if I listen to that once and I might listen to it twice and then eventually I'm not going to be great because mm-hmm. I'm starting to let that weaker voice in my mind win. Right. And that's when it comes down to I me. Mean, you, you train people. We all love sports psychology, both of us and work with professionals that have to do a lot of positive self-talk to be great at what they do. Mm-hmm. But that voice still always exists, no matter how high of a level you get to that's trying to tell you, give you an excuse of why you could stop or why you could not fulfill that contract that you had with yourself when you made your plan. Right, right. There's always going to be an excuse waiting for you to use it, but it's just whether or not you're going to identify with that explanation and that reason and whether or not you're going to actually let it inhibit your performance. Exactly. um, You know, for me, I think a lot of times silence is going to avoid your explanation from being interpreted as an excuse. Because like I was saying earlier, an excuse and an explanation can be one and the same, but it depends on the context. So uh, it also depends on the perception of the person who's receiving the information, right? So um, a lot of times if you make a mistake, you just say, I made a mistake. You don't have to explain why. It's not going to happen again. I apologize. Boom. Mm-hmm. In, in there. And that shows a, a strong-willed person and someone that's able to grow and take constructive criticism well, versus if someone needs to. They have this burning sensation inside of them that they need the other person to understand why this didn't happen, whereas a lot of times the why is not really relevant. Mm-hmm. And what's relevant is whether or not you're going to let it happen again. And a lot of employers, a lot of leaders will recognize this in people early on. You know, you can hear an excuse once and be like, oh, I feel like this might be a recurring issue. Because, again, there are certain things that don't really need to be explained. Just show me that you're going to make make it better. Either make it better now or make it better the next time it comes up. But showing is so much stronger than saying. And um, a lot of time people that are habitual excuse makers Um, are never able to show that there's going to be any change to their behavior. Yeah, and this is a communication style. I study a lot of officials, specifically with basketball and how they communicate with head coaches and players throughout the course of a game. And truly, when you're officiating a game, you're an arbiter for the game at that time, but you're also serving the game. Mm -hmm. Truly, like you're a waiter. You Mm -hmm. know, you're, you're trying to remove your ego. It's not about you. It's really about the players, a little bit about the coaches, but it's not about you at all. But people are going to come at you with questions. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't studied enough to give a rule-based explanation, then what you give a person might sound like an excuse. And that's going to infuriate them a hundred times more than if you were able to, like, quote directly out of the rule book and say why this play is adjudicated this way. Mm -hmm. It calms everybody down. So that's just an example of how I see where it actually takes a little bit of time to be able to even give an explanation. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we don't know how to explain the phenomena that just happened Mm -hmm. if we haven't Mm -hmm. done the studies. Yeah, you see that in the hospital setting too, of course. Everyone always wants an explanation in the hospital, whether it's me as the provider or the patient or the family. We want to know why things are happening and what we can do to either make it better or make it stop. And a lot of people get frustrated because we might not necessarily be able to get them to answer as fast as they want. 
but a lot of data goes into getting an accurate answer and we would prefer giving someone an accurate answer later down the road than giving them an inaccurate answer as quick as possible mm-hmm. and um that's sometimes difficult to notice or understand from the patient or family perspective because we do have so much technology and expertise and we have seen these situations so many different times but um, you as an individual present a little bit differently than we have seen previously Uh, whether it is a significant difference or not those are things that we have to take into consideration because certain things can present themselves in similar fashions as other illnesses or issues so um you know, expecting fast results in the hospital is unrealistic and it's also unsafe because I have seen uh, hospital settings where things do happen quicker, but they also have more mistakes that are made. Mm -hmm. And then that's when people have to have what is, in my opinion, an excuse after the fact when you don't have a desirable outcome because somebody wasn't paying paying attention to detail or they were rushing through, uh, whether it is to cut corners and make something happen faster or to please someone that's asking a demanding request of them, whether it be the information or the actual uh, performance of a procedure or whatever it may be. Um, the, the time that it takes is crucial. And of course, a lot of situations such as a stroke, for instance, we say time is tissue. So we do have to make decisions quickly, but there's diagnostics that go in place and there's still a process to be followed. So um, having processes in place is a good way to make things be more efficient and happen quicker. But um, if the processes aren't there, then you have to expect there to be some sort of delay if there's going to be any chance of there being accuracy, right? Yeah, and that's an extreme level of communication that you guys have to have with those families. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, when you were in college, were you guys taking classes specifically on communication with family members, or is that something you start to learn once you actually work in the, like, clinical setting? Yeah, no, there's not, but that would be very beneficial, I think. Um, You know, I've always had good communication skills, in my opinion, and I... I have seen people that are a little more timid or um, a little more unsure of themselves, especially in a setting like the hospital. Um, People that are older than you or uh, more qualified than you may be looking to you for an answer. So sometimes that can be intimidating, especially when you're first starting out in your career. But um, we had writing class in nursing school and then there's like fundamentals and we go into like theory of nursing, but nothing directly uh, working on communication. I think they would even be useful to have like a public speaking class in nursing because, yeah. you know, um, depending on what hospital you work at and what time of the day you're working, a lot of factors. Uh, I have been in settings where I have to basically present my patient to the whole hospital team that consists of the lead intensivist, a resident, a nurse practitioner, a physician's assistant, the pharmacist, the respiratory therapist, the physical therapist, occupational therapist, everybody all in one group. And then I'm having to stand in front of them and talk. And uh, that can be a little nerve wracking. I know when I first had to do it, it was nerve wracking. I'd be a little sweaty, be kind of shaking with my paper. And then I got to the point where, of course, with the repetition, I was able to already know what I needed to say because it was organized in my head and I had an understanding of that process, right? Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of the the skills that are developed in nursing, I would say, are on the job. You know, we we learn the basics in school, learn how to start IVs and do certain procedures and stuff, but a lot of the the communication and the processes um, 
I think in part because it does differ a lot from uh, hospital to hospital and different settings outside of the hospital even. And so um, even if you are skilled in that way, it, it takes a little bit of adjusting and learning if you're in a new environment as far as nursing goes. Um, but there's a lot of things that I feel could be improved in uh, nursing school and medical school. And, you know, everything's always going to have room for, for improvement, right? Mm -hmm. And we can't spend 20 years in school. So little details like that may not be a priority for various reasons. But I know that me personally, having those communication skills has uh, set me up for success in a lot of different situations. For sure. And I think with any bit of information that you're trying to learn the final step to knowing that you kind of mastered it is being able to present it mm -hmm. out to people so you having mm -hmm. all those different people with their titles and their level of education listening to you present information is doing huge uh impacts on your public speaking ability mm -hmm. and just knowing that you know this information yeah kind of weird parallels that we're going between like basketball officiating and then the medical field because yeah. basketball is a game that's like really not supposed to mean anything. And this is such a, your field is such a actual, you know, matters to people's lives and all these other things. Mm -hmm. But you think about a basketball game with 20,000 people in the stands and we watch three officials sometimes go to the replay monitor and take five minutes to adjudicate an action that yeah. happened. And when we're watching that, we're all at home watching ESPN ABC or whatever it is and we're man why is this replay taking so long can't they just come mm -hmm. up with an answer but it's because they truly don't want to have the wrong answer yeah. they don't want to come out and say oh it's a flagrant two on Patrick Beverly he's gone but this player isn't and then come to find out later that the action was flagrant from the other player or right. something else provoked this situation because there's a lot of money on the line in these games the mm -hmm. market for it is huge and everybody wants it to be as fair as possible and these officials have a limited amount of time to come up with a decision based off what they see on a monitor. Right. So in the process of in division one basketball, if we had a play that needed to go get checked, there's always going to be a referee who's like the crew chief. He's the leader of the crew. And then there's just a U one who's in the middle and a U two who's probably the least experienced. Mm -hmm. If we have to check something out as a crew, the crew chief or the referee, the main person is going to check it with, the calling official, and then he's going to have the other official come and look at it with him. So we all look, and then you gather up, and the crew chief is going to ask the most inexperienced person first, mm. what's your opinion? Mm. And the reason why they get asked first is because we don't want anyone's answer to influence their opinion because they have the least amount of experience. We call that an independent double check. In there the it hospital. is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, we do the same thing for like medications, right? We do our calculations separately and then we compare our answers because if we are there both trying to figure it out together, then we will probably make the same mistake with each other if the if a mistake is made. Um, and I just want to circle back to what you said about, you know, my job setting possibly being more meaningful or I guess important to someone's life. But again, like you said, with money being involved and um, the context maybe being different, but all of these skills are so transferable to different areas. And um, I, I was at a time in a place where I thought my job and my role was more important than other people's jobs and roles. But um, 
you know, everything's a piece of the puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. So to some people, basketball is their life. For sure. Know? I mean, it feels like it for me sometimes. Right, I'm like, right. man, I, I study this mm -hmm. game like it's a profession and I love it. Mm -hmm. And it feels motivating to me to be able to tell people like, hey, you could focus on something that you just love and, and are passionate about. Yeah. And you might be rewarded financially, spiritually, like feeling great about it. Uh-huh. But also whether you're a rep or a player or a coach or a parent or a gambler, right? Mm. Um, it can be extremely meaningful just to be involved in the game. Uh, I think if I won a $50,000 bet in basketball, I think basketball would be very important in my life, right? So mm -hmm. you just take things in the context. And I, I never feel like I, as an individual, am more important than someone else, even in the job role. You know, I've had um, custodians or housekeepers, whatever you want to call, in the hospital make comments to me that are like complimentary to me, but um, almost downplaying their role. And I mm -hmm. let them know, I'm like, in COVID, you guys were literally saving my day because we would have so much trash and be constantly throwing away gowns and all these supplies and medications and for those things to be organized and taken away in a um, timely manner and then when a patient god forbid would pass away we have to sanitize the room make sure it's not going to put the next patient at risk and that has to be done in a timely manner so that we can keep the cog rolling and all of those things are so many times overlooked and so I like to remind people that it doesn't matter what your title is, but your role is significant because if you don't show up and do your job, it's going to affect a lot of other people. Oh, yeah. So that's why you have to take pride in what you do. And, you know, to circle back onto our main topic here with uh, explanations and excuses, um, I think some people have an excuse for not trying hard in their role because they have convinced themselves that it's insignificant or they have convinced themselves that the people around them, their jobs are more important than what they have to do. Mm -hmm. But if you explain to yourself that your job is of equal importance and if you put in the effort in this role and develop your skills in that role, it's going to set you up for the next opportunity that's going to be better in your opinion. Um, that, that's a powerful thing to do. But you never want to be in a position where the explanation of what's going on or, or the explanation of your actions and what you're doing is hindering you from trying harder or performing to the best of your ability or even circling back to behaviors that you know aren't benefiting you. Exactly. Yeah. And since we bro both brought up the examples of a time-sensitive period in our jobs where we have to be able to come up with a detailed explanation of the decision we're making and then communicate it to other people, I believe that that's great. Coming back to our main topic of excuses and explanations, because it shows like even in a high pressured situation where there might be a lot of people with eyes on you and you don't have much time to make your decision, you could bail out and try to make an excuse. You could just mm -hmm. bail out and be like, you know what? It was because of this and it's out of my control. I don't know what happened. Mm -hmm. All these other things. Mm -hmm. And it just becomes a habit. Yeah. And I believe that it's something that when I'm by myself in a gym and I don't want to finish my reps of what I need to do, it will creep back up mm -hmm. depending on... It doesn't matter if 20,000 people are watching me or if I'm by myself with my headphones on. It's all going to be just the way that I think that's mm -hmm. going to create what I'm doing. Yeah. And I know I, in my head, I'm trying not to bring this up because I hate discussing politics, especially on our platform like this. But when it comes to mind, someone that always has an explanation regardless of the situation and mm. sometimes it seems like an excuse, um, I think it's Donald Trump. 
And he's someone who has had a lot of successes and he's been a leader his whole life. Um, and I don't think he would ever accept being a follower, which is something to admire, I suppose. But at the same time, you have to find a way to be accountable when things happen, especially if you're in a leadership position. So when things go wrong, don't be ready to point the finger and like, oh, in the back of my head, I know that this is his fault. But then at the same time, when things go right, it's always my fault when it's right. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not a very good cycle to be in. And most of the time, if you think that way and act that way, it's not going to lead you to the success and the fame and glory that this man has gotten. But you see, in a way, it can catch up to you if that's the way that you try to perform and carry out your business. Yeah, because that's like a half internal locus of control and half external locus right. of control, depending yeah, on if yeah. it fits you know, your situation mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that can be difficult for just a regular person to have that type of mindset. It's, it could... Mm -hmm seem narcissistic coming from a normal human being who's just out here in the world, maybe at the workplace or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very true. And then so it's all about presentation again. And um, people are going to perceive things the, the wrong way sometimes. I might be perceiving Donald Trump's actions the wrong way sometimes. You know, it's not really something that I have uh, enough insight or personal experience to have a solid opinion on it. For sure. Think right. about it. Like we, we talk here for a limited time once a week. Mm -hmm. Imagine if every single decision we made, someone had to put a microphone under our nose and say, right. hey, explain yourself now and explain yourself now after everything. It would be right. difficult. And I'm right. sure every single human being would end up saying something that everybody would be mad about. Mm -hmm. You would never avoid that. The only way you're not going to be judged to that extent is if you just never talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something that my dad has told me that um, regardless of the politician, I can sometimes be a little overcritical. But then at the same time, to me, if you're stepping into that role and you are going to be in the public eye and you're going to be a role model and making decisions for almost everybody then yeah, you have to be ready to be under a microscope yeah. and perform. And that's something that I've admired of some other politicians uh, in the past. I'm not going to get specific, but um, there, there's just a clear difference in that level of presentation and uh, being able to take that accountability and how you explain things beforehand and explain your ideas and your intentions so that whether or not it goes right or wrong, you don't really need an excuse after because everyone knew what the plan was, at least. You For know? sure. I mean, so many examples in American history, even the last like two decades about mm. this. I was actually just watching on YouTube um, George Bush's like speech to the nation uh, on the USS Abraham Lincoln he, it, I feel like I should know the exact date. It's in the 2000s. I want to say it's like 2008, 2009 or something like that. But I'm not exactly sure. But there's a video of him on the USS Abraham Lincoln declaring victory over the war um, in the Middle East. And mm. it's just kind of a moment, like you're saying, where it was like a huge hey, we won, but there's still all these other lingering operations going on and things that we don't really understand. So it's hard to be an explanation for the people because it's like, okay, well, how do we still have the casualties? How do we still have what feels like war happening? Mm -hmm. And then obviously we know as time got further and the Obama administration came, there was more stuff going on with Syria and ISIS and it, it just kept compiling. So mm -hmm. it's just another example of when you're the person that has to come and explain but it's not all tied up and it's not all like mm -hmm. precise. It can be so confusing <laughs> to the people who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's 
why media is so difficult sometimes because everyone wants to be the first one to report a story and a lot of times the the details haven't really been gathered yet and then so there's an explanation after the fact but it always ends up being what i see as an excuse for why the accurate information wasn't initially given but yeah you know after further googles it was 2003 that george bush uh, announced that it was mission accomplished in the war in the Middle East on the U.S. Abraham Lincoln, which is a historic naval ship in San Diego. Which, fun fact, that, that ship is also on um, Top Gun, the new Top Gun. Oh, uh, they take it. off on it. Oh, for real? It. Nope. It's a great movie. You should check really? it out, man. Yeah, it's I good heard. stuff. Surprise, you saw it. Well, I, w- I went in. Tom Cruise guy? No, I went in toured the USS Abraham Lincoln in San Diego, and after I toured uh-huh. it, they were talking about how it's in the movie, and uh-huh. I was like, man, I gotta watch it because it was crazy going around. There's like five thousand people that live on that ship when it's at sea, right? Yeah, and they have all types of you know cafeterias and a gym and uh-huh. all these different things. It's a floating city. I it's think cr- that's the one I went on. I mm. One of those, but um, you know, as far as explaining, you know very serious things like military engagements and um you know even family matters uh we really overlook the importance of communication and if you communicate effectively then when you explain things people are less likely to interpret them as excuses and then um again if you're if you have the intention and the intention is recognizable then it's not going to come off as an excuse either but uh, when you lack in those things, it's almost certainly not going to be perceived in the way that you want. Yeah. As uh, a as a personal trainer, what are some of the top excuses mm. that you hear people make? <laughs> and I hope nobody takes these personally. I only say they're excuses because they're all things that I've seen other people overcome. Right. Mm. And we all have the same capabilities. It's just how hard do you want to work how bad do you want it so obviously time i don't have the time to do this like well if you really look back in your day and how you spent your time you did have time you just didn't choose to make time to prepare your meal or get your workout accomplished etc cetera, etc cetera. so time is obviously the biggest excuse for anything right mm. and all, almost all of us are guilty of procrastinating at some point in the week so for us to ever use time as an excuse, if it's not something that is a three hour long endeavor, then we most likely have the opportunity to make time for it. And, um, you know, the other thing is work. You know, a lot of people work nine to five, sometimes even many more hours than that. But I personally teach a class at 6 a.m. I personally have a couple of clients that I meet with twice a week at 5.45 a.m., I personally know people that work out before 5 a.m. Mm. So again, if you go to bed on time and you wake up on time and have a routine, then you can make it work with a work routine as well. But I understand how that can be difficult. Um, you know, I, I work with some nurses and working 12-hour shifts. It's very, very difficult to work out on the day that you work for 12 hours. But our diet does play a large role in that. So again, I tell people, if you follow all of the steps and set yourself up for success, 
then even that probably won't be an excuse for you because you're going to have more energy after work because you ate throughout the day and had good foods. But um, I can speak from experience. It is very difficult to find the time to actually have a full meal at work or have your snacks and drink the appropriate appropriate amount of water and all of that. But um, you have to make it work. And if you make a conscious effort and have a plan set out, then you will succeed and you have to make time for yourself because we should be prioritized just as our patients and the rest of our coworkers are. Because if we don't feel good and we can't perform well, then there's going to be something lacking and we don't want there to be a lack in the hospital setting. We all need to be on 100, on 10, ready to go because oh, yeah. it's a unpredictable environment. You have to be on your toes and you have to be organized, prepared, and sharp. So um, the the diet piece is crazy to me to be overlooked so consistently there. And um, also making food choices, bad food choices, people will use as an excuse. Um, you know, this happened so... I chose to eat this because I didn't feel well. You know, a lot of people get sick and they want to eat more bad stuff. Th this happened as in like a life event and they felt like they needed to cope with their eating. Is that what you're saying? Whether it's coping or not having the time to eat a healthy food. Mm. There's a lot of reasons that people will make for making a bad food For sure. Choice. I find myself sometimes uh, if I have a stressful event happen in my life, I'll think, okay, I could... Yeah. dive back into a little more unhealthy choices right. for today like, man i need to go get a burger or i need to get, get a drink sure all these drink. exactly right. and it's yeah. crazy how quickly that self-talk can start coming up when mm -hmm. you're having a day like that or mm -hmm. a week like that or sometimes i know people that they make one bad choice and they're like well i already fell off of my program like i might as well just keep making bad decisions and i'm like no that's the opposite you should think well i already made one bad decision so now i'll be on track and that was my little bit of gluttony and break right yeah and that's why this conversation is so compatible with things we've talked about in the past about self-talk because that mm -hmm. same voice that's there when you're trying to focus and be disciplined is the same voice that's going to talk to you about what you should go cope with or unhealthy things you should do or mm -hmm. how oh wow i've already done this so i might as well snowball it into more and more mm -hmm. decisions that are negative on my body mm -hmm. it's all the same thing talking to you even if it's the thing trying to tell you you're not as good as you can be to accomplish a task mm -hmm. or that you don't deserve to have great things or or have love and peace in your life it's the same exact voice that is there yeah. and i mean i i feel like a big part of our life's conflict is uh reckoning with this voice figuring out how to not listen to it and define it for what it is is usually yeah. just lies and Probably up until after I was out of college, I thought it was crazy when people talk to themselves. But now I talk to myself because it's so much easier for me to process things that way. Mm -hmm. And we do all have that voice in our head that's our thoughts. So sometimes letting that thought be out loud so that you can interact with it and try to process it a little more efficiently is beneficial. And if you're doing that in private, it doesn't matter if it looks crazy or not, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't talk to myself when I'm sitting in a room of other people, but um, I certainly do talk to myself. And um, you want to be in control of that voice. And if that voice is just kind of a subliminal thing that you're not really aware of, it can often control you without you being aware of it. So to me, letting that voice out, interacting with that voice, and trying to reason in that way 
um, makes it easier for me to make good decisions, mm -hmm. especially when I feel myself being tempted by something that I know is not going to be the best decision for me. Um, how am I going to combat that urge? How am I going to stay on track? Right. Yeah. And sometimes for me, I'm just laughing at this voice because it will try to tell me that I'm not capable of doing something because of the stage is too large or I'm not prepared. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's not true. And it becomes comical because it's kind of like, what purpose do you serve to try to keep me afraid of accomplishing bigger goals and being more courageous out here in the world? Yeah, I, I, I genuinely ask that question. I kind of feel like it's like an evolutionary thing in our mind right. to try to keep us in a survival state to be a little more afraid of stuff like, hey, don't go over there to that unknown place because you might be killed there. Right. I could see protection. how. Yeah, like I can see how this voice that tells us these kind of lies hat serves an evolutionary purpose. But it's right. interesting to think about what is that going to turn into if we wanted to dole it and tell it that, hey, we're safe. Yeah, it is a protective mechanism. And mm -hmm. um, not everyone is meant to do amazing things and be courageous and step outside of their boundaries and stuff. So being able to combat that voice allows you to do all of that. But um, it does put you at risk. And it depends on how much risk you're willing to take on. Um, you know, your your past will play a role into how loudly that voice is speaking to you mm. and whether or not the voice is propelling you forward or pulling you back. And if you continue to not interact with the voice or try to ignore it, then you're going to always fall victim to what the voice is telling you to do. For sure. Like Alan Watts will say, if you try to ignore it, it's like trying to smooth out a wave of water with a flat iron. You're just going to disturb it even mm -hmm. more and cause more ripples mm -hmm. if you try to just ignore the voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that is, um, I mean, I, I feel like I've been to that point before where you try to ignore the urge but don't really address why the urge is there or what exactly the urge is and, you know, a healthy way of combating it. You, when you ignore it, it's probably going to, have you succumb. So I think that therapy is a good way for people to address those things. For sure. It's, it's like if you had some dirty clothes in the corner of your room, you can't just keep ignoring them. They're going to still be there until mm. you wash and fold them mm. and organize them. And that's exactly what therapy is for the thoughts in our mind. Right. Just being more proactive and addressing the thoughts, mm. being a doer and instead of uh, procrastinating. Um, and also usually turning a lot of your excuses into explanations. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because right. a lot of times excuses come with an ambiguous ending. Like I was saying at the beginning of this, it doesn't actually point you into a direction of action or behavior. But mm -hmm. an explanation does. Mm -hmm. Because an explanation comes, like I was saying, embedded with the process of how that you could actually accomplish something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think one good parallel to draw there is between like financial situations. We all have an explanation of why we're in a financial situation, right? Mm -hmm. But for you and I, for example, we realize that we have to adopt these investment strategies and be smart with our money and have a savings account and all of these things that will help us build wealth over time. And it's a pretty clear cut equation to do that but you just have to follow the steps what well, we could 
compare our situation to where our parents left us off or started us off at and where our grandparents were and what their education level is. But those should all be seen as starting points regardless of where you are. So we shouldn't be making an excuse for our current situation that's related to what our parents or our ancestors have done. Oh, yeah. And that's huge. I mean, Mm -hmm. that is such a huge thing to bring up because a lot of people feel that way about all types of progress that they can make in their life. They point to the past and say, what this type of brutality was done to my people. Mm -hmm. This type of miseducation was handed to my people. This Mm -hmm. type of wrong occurrence. And then they'll say why that means that they can't move forward. And that's honestly one of the worst places we could be in. Mm -hmm. If there is a big malevolent plan, I feel like that would be its end goal is to make all the descendants of these people feel that way. Except defeat. Except defeat. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but it should be empowering to know that you are at least one step ahead of where your parents started at. And sometimes it's hard to acknowledge that because it might not feel like you are, but you have to keep things in perspective. And there is an age difference between your, you and your parents, whether it's a 15-year age gap or a 45-year age gap, right? Mm-hmm. And so that amount of time gives you a lot of time to make sure that you're at least in a different situation where you get to wherever they are right now. And you wouldn't have the opportunity to do that if they hadn't at least started you somewhere. Mm. So, um, you know, some people have these legacies of inheritance and it seems like that life's given to them on a silver platter and it seems like some people never get a chance and they start in the mud and finish in the dirt, right? But we've seen a lot of people do amazing things and those are the people that find an explanation for what's going on in their life and refrain from making excuses for what they have not yet accomplished. Man, and now I'm really starting to see like the true division between an excuse and an explanation, you know, because the way that you just worded that is exactly how people will become more empowered Mm -hmm. and be able to use their words to actually create what it is that they want around them. Yeah. But as we were saying, that comes with taking time to be able to study. So then you know which words to articulate to define that phenomena that you're trying to describe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Empowerment's the goal. And, you know, last week I will admit I feel like I was off of my routine a little bit and you know trying to catch my footing throughout the week making like small little careless mistakes and I think that it's good for me to occasionally fall off in that way because it wasn't anything serious right Mm -hmm. and it's hard to perform at a high level for 365 days out of the year and so um you know you you recognize when you are not on your A game and you try to see what are you doing that is causing that to happen because it's a cause and effect relationship, in my opinion, especially if it's different from what you would consider to be typical. So for me, I know there was one night where I stayed up a lot later than I usually do and I should have. And that kind of carried over into the next day, which I think in turn increases cravings that you have when your body's tired and it wants fuel to make it feel not tired, right? And then that carries on into not having the energy that you usually have because you're not eating the foods and the amounts that you usually do and et cetera, et cetera. And people don't realize that all of these decisions that we make throughout the day do have an effect on our mood and our energy and our sleep and our activity level. And as soon as you decide to take control of one area, you have so much more control of all the others. Mm. And I explain to people that you can make these 
changes in your life. You just have to make that conscious effort. And as soon as you make one decision and do it continuously, then all the other decisions get a little bit easier because you have that little bit of control rather than you being controlled by all these things going around you in your life. And so for me, it, it starts from the moment I wake up in the morning. Am I going to make my food and take my vitamins and drink some water and get the sun and stretch all of these things? As soon as I decide I'm not going to accomplish those basic tasks that I need to do in the day, then I lose control of the rest of my day. Mm. But what I do is I at least have a list so I can visualize these things and hold myself accountable. And then at the end of the day, if I haven't accomplished the majority of the things on my list, I need to figure out why. And I don't have any excuse for it, but I need to explain to myself how I'm going to be better the next day and make sure that I'm more productive and get what I need to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, there's always going to be distractions and interruptions. I mean, especially me, I have a baby, I have a wife, I have friends, I have two jobs, I do all these things. So it's kind of hard to maintain that structure over time. And it can feel like a lot to juggle, but you also have to give yourself some grace and some leeway and understand that it's not going to be perfect, but you have to put forth the effort because if you don't even try, then what can you really expect to get out of it? For sure. You know, and then depending on how your worldview is with who's truly in control of the whole narrative, it's like you can always, this is where I think when people talk about their routines, that prayer is a big help. Mm-hmm. because I feel like as you're trying to orient yourself to make the best choices throughout your day, asking for assistance with that is mm-hmm. never going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, also saying that you're willing for the outcomes to not look exactly how you imagine them. Those are two things that I think just help people be a little more easy in their day. Mm-hmm. And also just be aware of what it is you're asking for, because that might not be the right thing to ask. And yeah. sometimes, like you said, it it looks different in the, the end result. And so we may need to reprioritize what we think that assistance is going to look like. Exactly. Because a lot of that effort is going to come from us. Or reprioritize what the assistance, like the assistance that we received, reprioritize our understanding of how that was what we needed. Right. Rather than what we thought we needed. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get help and we're like, oh, well, that wasn't enough. Yeah, or that's not the type of help I wanted. Right, right. And that's one thing I've been really trying to do is just train myself to be like, okay, any of this communication I'm seeing is the right and divine communication. I'm not the judge of what's supposed to be going on Mm -hmm. here. And that's just helped me live a lot more easy in my Uh life, and I'm thankful for it. Yeah, because we don't have the blueprint, even though we're following a plan. It's God's plan, right? Mm -hmm. So. We can make plans all we want. And we're doing this. I I saw a little clip on Instagram from Rick Rubin, you know, famous music uh, manager and producer. And he was talking about how he'll talk to artists about that their art is just an offering to God. And whatever they did for that day was the vibrations that they offered Mm -hmm. to God and the communication that they had for God that day. And they don't have to worry about their art being judged by the people once it's put out on streaming platforms and their albums come out for sale. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that's so important for somebody to tell to these artists. So then they don't lose their mind trying to think about how the people are going to perceive what they created. Exactly. Because the perception is all it is. Mm -hmm. Art art is all perception. You know, for every piece of art there is, whether it's visual art, audio art, whatever, 
one person's going to think it's beautiful, one person's going to think it's awful. So the artist has to have ownership in what they produce and believe in their abilities and what they're producing. And that carries over into anything in life. If you're going to start a company, you have to believe in your company. Somebody's going to think that your idea is stupid. Somebody's going to think it's amazing. And for some reason, the negative opinion always seems to be the strongest. Because you know? that little voice in our head, it, it, it identifies with it. Mm-hmm. It's like, see, that's what I was telling you. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Now you have some doubt. feedback yeah. and you have something to reinforce that what that voice was trying to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the ones who are courageous enough to be confident in their own actions and know what their intentions are and stay true to themselves, they, they overcome that little voice and they overcome the the negative comments and the negative perceptions. And I've seen people that, you know, have a large social media following talk about how they deal with negative comments and whatnot. And I'm always surprised by the fact that people actually read through thousands of comments on their posts. I'm like, how do you even have time to acknowledge those things and still be a creator and uh, accomplish all these other tasks and post your content and all that stuff? You know, it doesn't seem like there's any room to address the negative opinions when you're doing something at scale like that, not as an individual, but um, I also understand how the opinion of the consumer is important, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also so many trolls out there and there's so many haters out there and there's so many negative beings that are going to try to influence your behavior whether it's out of jealousy or spite or boredom on their part um there has to be a defense mechanism within you to be prepared for those negative energy forces because we've talked before about how energy is contagious you know you can't destroy energy but you can deflect it you can you can absorb it you can do whatever you want but the, the energy is going to be there and what, whatever's going to reflect from you is going to be whatever you're putting out. So as soon as you see that negative, you need to have a plan of how you're going to make it a positive. But if you're not going to let it influence you, then there's no fight to be had. No. Right. So, you know, for me, I, I've seen some hateful things on the Internet and it's been like that since the Internet started. Right. That's mm-hmm. like an outlet source for people to just try to be a menace and think that they don't have to face any consequences. And unfortunately, there's people like that in real life. (laughs) And those are the same exact people that always have an excuse for when they finally do get called out for their behavior. Well, they did this. Well, they said this. Like, well, you got kind of a track record here, buddy. And, um, you know, for me, I have to be able to recognize those individuals before they're able to influence me because I just don't have time for it. And, um, I think that that behavior is very predictable in how people uh, communicate. Just having a simple conversation, I can see if somebody is genuine in their efforts and how they interact with me or if they're going to look for a a way to exploit me or take advantage. Yeah, that's, that's really the skill that as leaders we are always trying to develop because I don't ever want to be so scorned at this world that I think everybody's trying to give me misinformation or deceive me. But I have to be able to create that system of discernment for me to be able to tell if somebody is trying to, mm-hmm. you know, take advantage of me in this moment and then respectfully and with love address them, redirect yeah. and uh, hopefully leave the situation amicably. Yeah. Love is always the answer. Yep. I feel like it's been a couple episodes since we 
really honed in on that. Mm. And uh, if you're operating from a place of love, you won't need to make excuses because people will feel the love. You yep. know? And um, if you love what you do and you love how you live, then you'll be prideful in how you interact with other people. And I take pride in having an opportunity to influence people's lives. So I always want that influence to be as positive as possible because um, I consider myself to be memorable for whatever reason. Maybe how I look, maybe how I talk, maybe how I act. I don't know. I think you'll remember me. So that's not a, that's not a conceited thing. That's not a, um, a narcissistic thing. I just feel like my presence in this world is very significant. And so I'm always eager at the opportunity to go test my being. Right? Mm. And um, just to be aware and be present in a different environment. Um, being uncomfortable has become something that I feel the need to do. Because I have had a period of time where I was comfortable for a long time, but then you don't feel like you're making progress, right? And um, to plateau, I think, is what will allow someone to start to decline. Yeah, 100%. I, I believe in that, and I have a slight fear of plateauing because mm -hmm. I think even if I'm at a so-called plateau in my career movement and jobs and things like that, there's still something I could be getting better at. There's never going to be a time where I can't develop more skills. And get Why better do you fear plateau though? Because of time. I mean, I think when we talk about our more capitalistic endeavors and the things we want to do to get money, it's like, Imagining your entire 30s being at the same level before you finally start going up at 42 or something like that. That 10-year span of plateau seems like it'd be very difficult mentally. Like financial plateau? Um, I just mean like advancement in your career. If you're trying to get to a level where you're making a certain amount of money uh, for what it is that you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that can be difficult because I was talking to my dad about how you know me and Maddie always have been making these leaps and bounds, but there's is a point in most career paths that you'll choose that you do have to plateau for a little bit, mm -hmm. whether it's at the entry level or even in between or at the top, right? Um, growth comes with time and sometimes you have to grow at a certain level. Yeah. Right? And that's why I believe in new challenges so it's like while that is plateauing then a new skill can start right. to do those more leaps that come with the beginning and that's why i was asking like do you really think you're i mean to be fearful of plateauing do you really think that you would allow yourself to plateau that's that's, that's that's exactly it like yeah. i'm so afraid of hitting a plateau i would never allow myself to plateau i, I would that. find something new that i'm going to get better at or something mm -hmm. else i'm going to attack because I never want to feel stuck, frozen in place. That seems like the worst place I could be. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I don't believe you. I don't think you operate out of a place of fear. I think that you don't plateau because you're eager to mm -hmm. grow. Mm -hmm. You know, it's true. And, but there's um, certain things that I can definitely say that I'm afraid of being in that spot. Like stuck, frozen in place. I mean, there's certain laws where it's like I don't want to steal anything, but I'm also super afraid of being in jail. Mm. So sometimes, like, the consequences of what could happen is the motivate motivation. me to, like, yeah, go mm -hmm. the opposite direction. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, it's significant to choose what motivates us? I think, um, from my own experience, 
I feel like God, the universe has just shown me what I care about. Mm-hmm. And I've always loved, I like my attention has always been focused at something specific and I'm, wow, I want to watch that more. Mm-hmm. And as I've grown, I've been blessed to be able to still feel this way as an adult. I feel like as Russ, as myself, there was just already things that my attention was going to be directed towards. Oh, yeah. And I'm blessed enough to have listened to myself and be like, hey, let's keep studying the things that catch your attention. Mm -hmm. But for people that don't feel that way, I guess they do have to figure out what their motivations are going to be and what actually inspires them in the world. I think that can come with self-reflection and journaling and trying to learn a little bit more about yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think there's bad motivation, like a negative motivator? For sure. Like revenge. Uh, You know, if you're only motivated to get to the top, then you can post it and all the people you hate can see where you're at. Then I don't feel I feel like it could get you there, but I don't think it's a good motivation. I don't think it's going to have you feeling fulfilled. Like people talk about a revenge body, like, oh, my boyfriend broke up with me. Now I'm going to go look better. Right. We see <laughs> it all to the do time. With them? Like you need to be healthy for you now. Exactly. You know? That person needs to be exiled from we, your life. We see it all the time, and yeah, yeah. Negative motivated, negative motivation. I think is kind of fascinating because it can really sometimes push people to do amazing things, but it's not sustainable, right? Mm-mm. Or they're not going to be satisfied when they actually uh, achieve the accomplishment, and um, there there won't be a continued motivation. Yeah, there because we've talked before. After you get to a certain point and you accomplish something, it's not over, right? It's just the the first step to the next level. So to to think that you need um, an external factor that is basically you accomplishing something out of spite because you want someone else to suffer or feel jealous or envious and whatever negative emotion or reaction you're trying to evoke from someone that that negative emotion is in turn going to find its way back to you Mm -hmm. because you have this negative energy that's motivating you and then it it evokes a negative energy and all of a sudden you're reflecting that negative energy again exactly just like lauren hill says the ditch you dig for them you might just end up in yourself Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we don't dig because we don't want nobody to be underground we're all trying to elevate Mm -hmm. and once you have that theory of oneness and you feel connected to your environment and your neighbor and your family and yourself it will give you the opportunity to do amazing things and continue to do those amazing things and feel good when you accomplish those things and also feel empowered to even start those things Mm -hmm. and not feel the need to make an excuse if you fail because you will fail but eventually you'll succeed Mm. And without failure, there will be no success. Mm. I can guarantee that. Mm. So, you know, for me, again, I used to make excuses. Now my explanations are painting a picture of what I expect to see in my future. And I'm confident in all of those things coming to fruition. And so an excuse will never be necessary. Because God willing, as long as there's time for me to work towards that goal, I believe that I'm going to get there. I just have to take the steps and be consistent, right? Yeah, yeah. And similar to you, I used to make a whole bunch of mistakes. And through more hard work, discipline, and my faith, 
I'm starting to explain a lot more now, mm-hmm. and it feels great. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you, there's nothing to explain. You know, J. Cole was talking about how his vision and his idea and his aspirations were not realistic to the average person, but they were to him, and that was all that mattered. So he's carrying out his plan and working diligently without needing the support or verification from anyone else. And he didn't want to really put his idea out there because he didn't want anyone to diminish his drive. He didn't want anyone to have the opportunity to tell him that what he was working towards wasn't going to happen because it was too lofty of a goal. And I've heard a lot of successful people explain that, you know, they set a goal that almost seems unrealistic, Mm -hmm. but just with the expectation that even if they get halfway to that goal is going to be amazing, but they do truly believe that they can get to that level and they're not really letting anyone else have the opportunity to say otherwise. Yeah, and I know the exact J. Cole bar that you're talking about. They say if, if they don't know your dreams, then they can't shoot them down. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. like you're saying, man, it's really just a battle for you to be able to come out here and express yourself and grow as big as you can. Obviously, J. Cole doesn't feel that way now because he's yeah. faced all those fears. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful process, man. So It is. It is. Well, cool. I, I always love when we can, you know, tap into these different industries, talk about finance, talk about sports, talk about musicians, talk about artists, and just see how all of these uh, mental adoptions and these strategies of thoughts can benefit you regardless of what your goal is, regardless of what life you're living we all have some level of similarities as far as the the security that we want and the happiness that we want and and um you know just living a life of comfort at some level but don't forget that that discomfort is beneficial for you yeah 100 percent. yep so thank you guys again for listening uh episode 25 r&b podcast on july 4th uh, happy birthday, America. And don't forget, y'all, if you haven't yet, please like, subscribe, share, uh, blow it up. We appreciate the support so, so much. And um, we wouldn't be doing this. Nah, I'm lying. We'd still be doing this if you didn't listen. But we still appreciate it so much and want more people to have the opportunity to listen. These are conversations that Russ and I are going to have regardless. So we might as well put them in the ether so you guys can try to tap in and feel what we're feeling. Because um, the feeling that we feel is love and it has done so much for us. And um, these conversations have been 15 years in the making. But this podcast has just been half a year. So you can expect this to, you know, take off and continue to grow. And um, we're excited for you to be here along with us in this journey. Yep. So uh, like last week, we'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.